have, over these first couple of weeks in 2018, been extremely encouraged as I have uh, ventured in and asked many of you to join me into reading God's Word from cover to cover in one year. And although we're only into two weeks, both reading some Old Testament and some New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs, I have to tell you, it's been really encouraging to learn things that I've read many times and all of a sudden get a whole new picture of something that I really never learned before. And so I'm grateful for those who are joining me. Invite many others. The prayer uh, through a year manual is in the back if you don't have one. You can go to our website and download it, and you can also join us on Facebook to a special discussion group where we post things each day from our reading and we learn from one another. And uh, I have to tell you that it has been my, my joy once again, particularly as I'm reading through the history, family history in Matthew, and then Jesus beginning to work with his first disciples, his early disciples, I always get this image of Jesus, and I don't know if this will work. That's working. All right. I have to point it there, I guess, and not there. But these are the images I get of Christ in my mind. This loving person who loves people and loves children and, and always wraps his arms around people with compassion. And he heals them. So the imagery that I'm reading in Matthew is an exciting imagery, and it warms my heart to know that I'm in that picture with Jesus' arms wrapped around me and loving me in, in such a unique way. In spite of who I am, I have to tell you, I'm not very good. Uh, I don't want to begin to list all the things that uh, I think Jesus is dealing with me, but I'm glad he's dealing with them. And so it's, it's a marvelous time. But there is a day, actually uh, some scholars say it was two days, one at the beginning of his ministry in John, and then in the other Gospels at the end of his ministry when it was more like this. And Jesus made his entry into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey with children, praising him and throwing palm leaves before him and singing hallelujahs. But when he got into the temple, then he was discouraged. I don't know if I could say he was angry, but he was, he was his soul was disturbed when he saw what had become what had become of the temple that God had built. And so I call my message today the day that Jesus got mad. And I ask myself, what is the lesson for that? Over the Christmas season, I, I went to my library, both at home and here at the church, and I I said, I'd, I'd like to kind of either read one of the books I have there that I have never read. There's a confession, pastor with books that he orders and then he never reads them. Or perhaps a book that I've read before but felt I'd like to refresh my mind. And I came across the Jim Sabala series 
fresh wind, fresh power. And I began to glean through the book. I'd read it before and was finding it very interesting. And so I thought, I'd like to scan that again and read it again, so I did. But then I came across one that expands the, the second portion of his first book, which was Fresh Wind, Fresh Power, and this, this book then was just totally fresh power. And I took it and I read it and enjoyed it immensely. Jim Sabella is the pastor of a church in, in Brooklyn called the Brooklyn Tabernacle. He told his congregation one day this, if they would call upon the Lord, he had promised them in his word that he would answer, to bring the unsaved to him and to pour out his spirit amongst them. And if they did not call upon the Lord, he promised them nothing. I thought, wow, really? Can that be true? And I thought, what a powerful premise behind the practice of prayer. If we pray, God's power will be, manifest, will be manifested in and through our life and ministry. But if we do not, it will not. This is not because God cannot act if we don't pray. Rather, it is that God will act through another if we don't pray. Because God will see his accomplishments and his promises and his plan come to unfold. For those of us who are reading in Genesis, we're recognizing that. Even through deceitfulness and lies, God's word is still solid. And his promises are still solid. Count Symbolic went on to say, we may, the, we may be the most orthodox evangelical in our belief. We may, may, have, we may have the most inspirational music. But without prayer, we have no power. No matter what I preach or what we claim to believe in our heads, the future will depend upon our times of prayer. Prayer will be the engine that drives the church, Symbola says. In other words, if we, if we have no prayer life as a church, we have no fuel to accomplish the task that God has called us to. The condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by the corporate prayer meetings. Amongst other things, he said, if God be near a church, it must pray. And if he not be there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be the decline of corporate prayer. I say to you, my dear friends, as God has begun to speak to me, I will tell you and confess before you, my greatest weakness as a Christian leader is my time in prayer. I confess that before you. But God has been showing me that he wants me to seek him. You see, my prayer life it goes this way. I come into my office. I do my devotions. Now I post on Facebook. And I pray 
for a few moments. I pray through our, our January prayer brochure. But primarily what I pray is, God, here are the plans I have for our church. Will you bless them? That's not prayer. That's asking God for affirmation. And that's a good thing. But the prayer that fuels a church is much different. Prayer is at the heart of Jesus. So I want to take this morning to have a chance to just kind of glean through the house that he is speaking of. First of all, let us look at the purpose of the house. Why did God have the tabernacle built? Why did God allow Solomon to build him a new temple? Well, that answer is found in Exodus, or I'm sorry, in Exodus, where it reads this of the temple. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be as sanctified by my glory. The tabernacle was a place where God met with his people. God said the tabernacle was where he would meet with them and speak with them. Question, how do we speak with God and how does God speak to us? And what relativity does that have to us as a church? The New Testament says that we are the tabernacle. This is the dwelling place of God through Jesus Christ. He indwells us, and so we are the tabernacle. But we are not the house. The house is the place where the tabernacles meet, you and I, and that is called the house of prayer. Jesus confirms with us when he cleansed the temple. He ran the money changers out, and he said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Clearly we see from this scripture that the purpose of the house of God is the place of communication between God and his children. And this is primarily accomplished through prayer. The question is, how is Thornhill Baptist Church doing in fulfilling God's promise and purpose of the house? Let's look at the problem of the house. As I think this week, as I've been thinking through the sea of Christian culture in North America, I'm not sure we haven't missed the boat in understanding the purpose of God's house. Perhaps we are much more like the money changers than we think. Jesus, as he ran at them out of the house, told them they had become, they had made it into a den of thieves. They had turned the house into something other than what it was meant to be. We may not have turned Thornhill Baptist Church into a den of thieves, 
but I wonder if we're turning it into something it wasn't intended to be. It's been said that many Christian leaders today, <coughs> excuse me, it's been said that many leaders today say many houses of worship are nothing more than production houses for modern religious entertainment. Many churches today are nothing more than social meeting places where men, women, children, boys and girls come to socialize and have a good time. I wonder, when God looks down at our church today, might he be saying, do people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me? That stuck like a thorn in my heart. That stuck with me this week. Do I honor God with my lips as a leader? Do I say all the right things? But where is my heart? Where is my heart? Whatever the church is today, it is, for the most part, I don't think what it should be. One author said this, we prance, we primp, and we perform and patronize, but we neglect the most important element of our coming together, corporate prayer. The problem with the house of God today is that we do not pray, so what must we do? The prescription for the house. What is the prescription for the lack of prayer in the house of God? It is in one word, prayer. If we want to see the power of the Spirit fall in our lives and in our church, we must become a people of prayer and we must make God's house a house of prayer. Hosea said, It is time for the people of God to fall on their knees before God and seek His face. We must learn the heart that Moses had, who asked God to let him see his glory. We must pant for God just as the deer pants for the water brook. If we want to see the lost saved, the sick healed, the hungry fed, and the world changed, then we must begin corporate prayer. Isn't that what 2 Chronicles says in 7.14? That was read this morning, robbed me of my verse. Mary Lou, thank you. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, and I underline and seek my face, then I will come and heal their land and heal them. I take that personally now. I want to become a leader who seeks God's face because in doing so, he will heal me. And he will heal my wants and wishes and my desires because they will become his wants and wishes and desires. The power of God is unleashed when the people of God humble themselves and pray. If we want to see our neighbors and neighborhood changed, we must pray. If we want to see our prodigal children return to the flock, then we must pray. If we want to see the power of the Holy Spirit in the midst of our gatherings, then we must pray. When we pray, God has always promised to respond. And so the promise to the house. When we pray, God will act. Don't get me wrong. 
He can act whether we pray or not. But when we pray, he has promised to respond to the sincere, fervent heart of a corporate prayer. Let me share some of those promises. Deuteronomy 4. But from there will you seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. You see, I believe I've become a person who knows I have Jesus for my salvation, that he has forgiven me and he has saved me, and he has a place for me in his kingdom. But do I search for God every day? Afresh and anew. Matthew 21. And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you, if you have faith and no doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. This is not my promise. This is the promise of God. Luke 11. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For anyone who asks receives, and anyone who seeks finds, and anyone who knocks, it will be opened. Isaiah 65. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. God has promised that the fervent prayer of a righteous man will accomplish much. How much more will it accomplish when men and women corporately pray to seek God's face for their house? Countless times in the Word we find examples of the power of prayer. And so I close with this, the power of the house. Let me say the very first thing that corporate prayer will do in the house, it will create unity. The spirit of prayer unites God's people like nothing else. The evidence can be found when you read through the book of Acts. All disunity is vanquished when the believer bows his knee in prayer. Unified prayer begins in the heart and it often takes a process and work, but it starts there. The book of Acts, the apostles continued steadfastly and earnestly in prayer with the disciples. In corporate prayer, we do not seek a consensus of human ideas. We seek a consensus with the will of God. As Christians, we can't ignore the fact that the first activity in the New Testament church, they engaged in corporate prayer. It began as a priority and continued as a priority. When prayer is emphasized, an unusual unity develops amongst the fellowship. Barriers come down and the body is built up. We become more about what God wants for us than what we want from Him. Corporate prayer also releases God's power. Second Chronicles, 
Again, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal the land. Sambala makes this point in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. If we call upon the Lord, he has promised in his word to answer, to bring the unsaved to himself, to release his spirit within us. If we don't call upon the Lord, he has promised us nothing. I'm not sure I totally agree with that, but I agree with the premise. The first church to experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost during a prayer meeting. They prayed, over, uh, they prayed over the prison release of Peter and John, and Peter and John were released in the midst of a prayer meeting. The apostles considered prayer to be their priority, their main duty, their main call upon their life. When Ananias was commanded by God to go find Paul, he was told, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Peter received the vision from God concerning the Gentiles, ability to become Christians while he was praying. Do we get the picture, folks? Do we get the picture that God responds to our prayers? Prayer is the fuel of the church. From the day of Pentecost, this was said by Dr. Pearson, from the day of Pentecost, there has been not one great spiritual awakening in any land which has not begun with corporate prayer. And such outward, upward movement has, continu has con continued after such prayer meetings have declined. What is he saying? We use this word almost in our normal vocabulary. We want to see revival come to the church. We want to see revival come in our midst. We want to see revival happen amongst us. We want revival in Canada. We want revival in the United States. We want revival around the world. Dr. Pearson would say, are you corporately praying for it? Or are you just asking for it? Not since Pentecost has such great revivals happened. And any revivals that come into our land in North America have come because of corporate prayer. And when was the last time we had revival? The last one I can think of was the Satara Twins. And that happened when a small church in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, was on their knees seeking God's face for their purpose. And the Satara twins came. And for months, revival broke out in the Bible Belt of Saskatchewan, Alberta, and Manitoba. Conclusion. Where are you? Where am I? Are we simply saying, Lord, this is what we want our church to be, and we have our vision statement? 
and we want to reach the community, and we want to do this, and we ask you to bless that vision. I'm wondering if we shouldn't be seeking God and saying, Lord, lead us where you want us to be to complete that vision. Lead me to what I need to be to complete that vision. Let me close with Charles Spurgeon's words. Looks like we're going to go early today. Let me close. Maybe we'll just spend some time in prayer. Let me close with these words. All of hell is vanquished when the believer bows his knee in prayer. We cannot all argue, but we can all pray. We cannot all be leaders, but we can all be pleaders. We cannot all be mighty in, in, in rhetoric, but we can all be prevalent in prayer. He goes on to say, I would rather have you eloquent, <coughs> excuse me, I would rather have you eloquent before the God, before God, than eloquent before man. Prayer brings us in communion with the eternal, omnipotent, infinite God. Hence, prayer is our chief resource. If we want to make sure we are close to God, and He is close to us, then we must pray. One of the things that has impressed me the first time I stepped into this church the first time I came here to speak as a guest speaker was that you took time to pray. But are we satisfied that that is prayer, corporate prayer? Are we satisfied that the eight or ten minutes we spend praying on a Sunday morning is what God is looking for? Because we do that, does that make this a house of prayer? I suggest not. I suggest God is calling more of us to get on our knees. We have some prayer warriors in their church. You know who you are. And I commend you for that. If you look at your bulletins this morning, I'm asking the men of this church to gather with me the third Saturday of every month at 10 o'clock in the morning, where we as men will get on our knees before God, and we will seek His face, for our families, for our own life, for our friends, for our communities, for our workplace. So I'm asking you to join us for men's corporate prayer. Third Saturday every morning at 10 o'clock. The fourth Saturday every morning at 10 o'clock, I'm asking the ladies to gather for prayer. So that the ladies can pray for their children, for their lives, for their circumstances. But together, let us seek God's face. Let that be the foundation of our prayer. Lord, show us. Lord, lead us. Lord, build us to what you want us to be. Because in doing so, God has promised that he will respond. Jesus, in your precious name, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that 
You got mad on that day. It's not the kind of mad that, that we have, the anger that eats away at us. It was a disappointment and a heart-wrenching feeling that we had abandoned what you had given us. And so, Lord, help us, help me, to place prayer as a higher priority in my daily life. I love your word. I'm enjoying reading it. I'm enjoying what you're sharing with me in my heart. But Lord, I hunger for more that goes beyond your word. I hunger to commune with you and you with me. Father, I pray on behalf of our house. Break us and bend us and mold us so that we are open to hearing your voice and we promise to follow. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.